0: You're listening to episode number 77 with Paul Hamill, CEO of InFlight. Welcome back to your music industry podcast. It's your host here, Daniel Fish, helping you survive and thrive in the modern music business. Apologies if my voiceover is a bit nasally. I'm a bit bunged up, a bit blocked up, got a bit of a snotty nose, but excuse that. I won't keep the voiceover too long. On today's podcast, we're exploring the world of DJ promos, or as a matter of fact, any kind of musical promo, aimed at DJs of course, through the experience, the insight, and the tools of Paul Hamill, the CEO of InFlight, one if not the leading promo service in the electronic music world. So let's just jump straight in. No more of this nasal dance, so let's jump straight in. Here's the conversation with Paul Hamill, CEO of InFlight. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. How are things in Belfast considering lockdown?
1: Pretty much very similar to, to how it always is for me, which is work from home. In fact, we all work remote anyway. So it hasn't been a, a huge change in terms of our, our daily life, apart from having the family around the house all the time because they're not in school, they're not in university and that kind of thing. But yeah, we're near, we're near the end of it. Getting lots of fresh air and doing lots of walks, that kind of thing. Missing the weekends and having something to do at the weekend. But hopefully we're on the way out of it. Very soon you know we'll start to see some friends and family again over the next few
0: weeks mm, totally so we'll be definitely talking about in flight later on but mm. I'm really interested when I did some digging I found that while you are CEO and founder of Inflight, your background isn't just in flight you were correct me if I'm wrong psychotron is that correct yeah, and you that's right you yeah. work with Paul Wolford, even Digweed John Mer- uh, uh, Nick Moore, uh, loads did that background set you up to get into the world of in flight would you say
1: partially but it was probably more to do with my background in uh, radio I was touring internationally between 2008 and about 2012 2013 in fact yeah my last gig was the month that we launched in flight in October 2014 uh, I was in Beirut so I, that was my, my very last international show so I was also I was running a radio show on BBC from the late 90s from about 99 until around 2012. And that's where I had seen the the, the problems that, that existed with with promo systems and how DJs and, and media were receiving music. But it was it was a, it was a two way thing. So I was having uh, real difficulty managing all my promos for the BBC, and I was having difficulty managing my promos to go on tour. So I was trying to find a solution that would allow me to manage my promos, download them and react to them while I was touring and sitting on an aeroplane all weekend which which I did for a couple of years and sitting in airports and there was just nothing there that could allow me to do that because it's so much downtime while I was traveling I thought well that would be an ideal way to prepare music for a show but obviously you're in a plane so you have no wi-fi or you're in an airport with really poor wi-fi. So I tried to cobble a few things together using like Dropbox and on iTunes and all that, the, the technology that was available there, but it just just wasn't the solution that I was looking for. So that's when I came up with the I, I had a a moment where I thought, well, what if there was a, a mobile app that would allow me to receive promos while I'm on the move directly to my phone, that I could sync them offline onto the device. And it would have cloud storage integration built in, so I could listen to stuff on the move, and I would have a central storage connected to it that would make the whole process much more easier. It would make it more efficient for the DJs, all but also better for the the art or the labels who are sending music. So that's when the kind of the, the the penny dropped of of sort of the early idea of what Inflight was going to be. The idea being, you get a load of promos on your phone, you're sitting on a plane, and they're all offline, so you can sit and react to them. And then when you get off the plane, the uh, your phone will connect to in-flight and say, right, Paul wants all these promos. You get to your hotel on your good Wi-Fi, you open up your laptop and they're all synced to your Dropbox, which was the first, we're the first platform to integrate Dropbox and also do offline s- storage for for, for for, mobile promo use. So obviously that that was right back in 2014. And we've, we've kind of gone full circle now in 2020 and we've just launched our new integration with Pioneer Record Box. So we're the first promo company to to directly integrate with with Pioneer, which is something that we've been dreaming about for the last few years. It's been a long time in the planning and it's really the, the next stage because we, we did some we did some surveys a few years ago and we found out that something like 80%, 75, 80% of our users were record box users. And we thought, well, that's the platform now that people are using. You know, whenever they go into DJ and clubs, you have to go through Record Box to prep your files. So we thought would not that be just the, the the most amazing thing to be able to send promos directly into rekordbox and you means you don't have to do any downloading it means that you've got a central storage place for all your promos and um it car- yeah the, the great thing about it is it carries across all the metadata DJs with, with the ratings and the comments that they leave on in flight now appear in rekordbox so there, you don't have that disconnect there from using a promo system and, you know, forgetting which tracks you favorited or what you said about them. It's all catalogued inside box now. So DJs can open up the record box and go, yeah, that's the track off that API I wanted, that's the track I, I want there. And yeah, it just just improves the, the, whole, um, the whole workflow for DJs because... You know, when we came along, the the other kind of problem that we were trying to solve was that there were no kind of opt in controls or on any on on many of the the promo systems that were uh, around at the time. Which meant, as as DJs, if if your name and email got on a mailing list, you'd just be flooded with all sorts of content. You know, any type of genre could land in your inbox. You just wouldn't know. So um, the thing that we set about fixing in twenty fourteen was was making Inflight a, a strictly opt in only platform. I mean, initially it met with quite a bit of resistance because labels were scared that the the emails that they were sending out were not going to subscribe and all that kind of thing. But, you know, we we, we stood our ground and ultimately we've shown and demonstrated to labels that this is the preferred approach that DJs and and media people like. They don't want to receive everything. They want to be able to say no thanks or, you know, I don't cover that particular genre. And doing that means that when users go to use InFlight, they'll have a, already a pre-filtered selection of music there, you know, that they'll know that they've given permission to. And then you can go deeper than that and into the likes of the, we've a lot of PRs who use our system who do lots of different genres and they will then, they can then fine tune for each user, you know, based on on what they listen to or what they like. So, um, yeah, the, the, the opt-in thing was, was a, was a big driver in, in our success and it, it predated all these GDPR legislation, which came in a few years ago and, uh, you know, and at the time everybody was panicking about GDPR, reminding me of the, the millennium bug, you know, when everybody was freaking out in nineteen ninety nine that the world was gonna end. <laughs> we had we didn't have to do a thing, you know. We just we sent our we sent an email out to customers to say, relax, everybody's opted in on your list we've been doing this since 2014 yeah it's now it's become the the thing where everybody has to do it you're you're legally obliged to to request opt-ins so I mean there were two things it was kind of the the functionality of providing an offline mobile app with cloud storage but also resetting the and closing the floodgates of, of promo spam which had been you know around 2010 2014 was was just everywhere and yeah so it's been been building up nicely ever since
0: out of curiosity how would you get to that point because say you're experiencing it and you're thinking what if this system existed did you have any like background in coding and building these platforms or did, did you just have the idea and then like hire the talent or how did that work in the the early days
1: it was a one of those kind of things that's staring you straight in the face <laughs> that, that you don't you don't actually realize and you go god the penny drops at last so I, initially when i come up with the idea i don't have a background in tech I'm into product design. You know, I had a background in, in, in customer experience before my, my, my music career. So I had uh, a very uh, heavy focus on, on looking after customers and developing things with, with customers in mind and also product. I mean, i big into my tech and just looking and, looking at, Ways, uh, at different platforms and, and and looking at ways that we could we could our things could be improved. You know, it's always been been a kind of a pet passion of mine, but I never actually considered turning it into a, a career or a business. So when we started up, you know, I was trying to I was trying initially was trying to bring in talent to to build it for me, and then best friend of like twenty years approached him to with a view to to set up a partnership. He's a multi stack developer, so he just knows from top to bottom. Back end front end, mobiles the whole, the whole lot, and we built, we created a company and went as co-founders. And he does all the development, and I do everything else from the the product to the customer face and stuff, sales and marketing and then we have a couple other people helping out but yeah i mean it's one of those things where we're best mates running a business he lives three doors down the street from me as well so it's all very it's all very very convenient and then we have um we have people working for us in portugal and berlin and um we've another another guy here in belfast as well so uh, yeah, very lucky. One of those kind of fortuitous things that you know it's been it's been, a, it's been a, a large factor in the success of our business because building a building a tech platform, you know, with the resources we have, with, with two people essentially behind it. I mean, when people hear this, they think it's a much bigger bigger operation, but it, that's not to say that there hasn't been. There's seven years of hard work that has gone into it. When you start off something like this, you can get the bones of it done within a couple of years, you know, and you can get you can get a platform that you can use your kind of minimum viable product as such. But it's the last five years of of learning and customer feedback that has refined the product and, you know, improved it uh, based on our user experience and our customer experience. They're the things, they're the learnings that, you know, that that are really important. And that's that's what we've been very uh, thoughtful and mindful of doing uh, throughout our business life is speaking to our customers, speaking to our users and finding out what they like, what are the pain points that, that they experience both as sending promos and in terms of receiving promos and we look at everything we look at all the metrics we look and see right are djs getting too many promos you know does that react does that affect the reaction rates that they get the number of feedback because there's so many variables when it comes to delivering a promo campaign that i think a lot of the older systems they they're not transparent enough so it's, it's very difficult for labels using them to to figure out well what's what defines a successful campaign you know, and we, we built in a lot of those kind of small things that initially probably don't look that important. But when you send sent out a load of campaigns and you look at the historical data, you get a sense of what works, what people like. And that helps inform your, your future selections when it comes to who you decide to send your records to. And that's ultimately what helps the, the user experience because they're getting better records, but also helps the labels because they're targeting people who they know will react and like the music that they're sending.
0: So would you say Inflight is more for the the tour and DJs, the bigger labels, or can the emerging talents, the the upcoming labels, use it themselves? Or would you say it is more for the higher end?
1: We built the platform to be a premier platform, you know, a professional platform. Yeah, there are cheaper ways to do it. That, you know, you can hack things together using your mail chips and whatever. A lot of the bigger labels use this, but you know, we are also we're also seeing like over the last couple of years you know, new labels emerging on the platform constantly who are seeing the value in the guidance that we give them around how to grow their, their mailing list. I mean, the biggest thing for a, a new label, when you're a new label, you've got you your face with two choices in promoting your music. You either do it yourself and you, you put in the hard work, and the first thing you should be doing is building up your own database, your own mailing list, and that doesn't mean going online and spending 50 quid buying a list of 2,000 DJs, which is just, you know, just don't do that. It's just, you know, it's a waste of money. Give me your 50 quid instead, you know, and I'll, I'll do a better job for you. Uh, but we see that all the time. It's got to the point where, you know, we see these lists come and we, we we don't we don't allow people to import them because they're just they're just bogus, you know. We try to help cultivate new labels and sort of incubate them to the extent that they start with a small list, not not our data, with their data, and they, they grow that organically, you know. You're better off having a couple of hundred people who know what you do who like what you do then sending it to 2000 people you know we we see we see we see it all the time with with labels coming along and they're sending out 2000 3000 promos and you're like who's left to buy the music when all of this is done you know there there needs to be something there so yeah while we have a lot of the big labels we you know the, the young labels we especially try to look after because um yeah they're coming out of from a, a very new from a different perspective we try to help them sort of not build their list, but give them pointers as to, you know, who on their list they should be looking at or, you know, whether the, if there's junk in that list, we, we tell them and show them, you know, the system will show uh, that there's there's junk in there. And, yeah, just work with that. So it's really for all. I mean, in terms of the, the user base, we do have a huge amount of tastemaker DJs, but we have everything from sort of amateur to semi-pro DJs right up, you know. Uh, the smaller labels especially will tend to uh, promote towards their their peer group, which are largely amateur semi pros with a few tastemakers. But to be honest, the 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 nicest thing I can hear from a new label who joins us is that when they come to us and they say, Oh, we've been trying to target big time tastemaker DJ, he's never responded to anything, but when we joined InFlight we got feedback from him. You know, and those kind of things are are, we, we hear quite a lot. It kind of goes back to the kind of thing that the you know the delivery platform the delivery mechanism is so important if you're targeting a you know an ALS DJ and you're sending them a sense space link or something that you have to click casino ads and everything just just forget about it you know and it's just not going to happen but within flight they, they know that right, there's a certain there's a filter there so they know that they're using the platform and so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that happens organically which again builds the, the user experience it keeps our customers using us because they're they're getting impressive results that they're they're happy with so do
0: you think that a lister DJ because he sees it's coming through in flight not only it makes it easy for him but he like respects the fact that these labels and DJs are investing in themselves to go down that route
1: absolutely yeah you know it's it's a, it's a mark of quality and um, the fact that they've, they've chosen and that they know that they've paid the money to use it they know that they've given permission to, to receive that music but yeah it does, it does add it does add a, a certain sense of quality to there, I know, like when I when I was DJing, that's what I would have. I would have segregated my in my inbox. I would have had my favorite promo companies all in uh, filters, so they'd all go directly into those. But I would also always, always pay attention to the the labels who were using the the good platforms because it does give a sense of uh, right. There's a, an era of professionalism about this because the, the platform is good, the artwork looks good you know you then you'll gravitate towards listening to the music and you'll hopefully find that it's also good you know so it does uh it does paint a picture and that's you know it, it forms part of the the brand image for labels and that's why we you know we try to do that in a way that yeah makes it easier for our labels to present a professional image to the people that are trying to target music to
0: and that's so special and it's it's something that i've always looked into is the the promos but as you mentioned there was never anything that's just so optimized and so easy for the people receiving them to not only hear experience but also to feedback as well isn't it because there's a big element of people being able to offer that feedback which then some label use as a marketing resource to be like hey he likes this record don't they
1: yeah i mean that's essentially what the feedback is used for you know it's to help sell or promote your records or get streams or whatever and that tastemaker feedback is so important you know and you know, w- without that, labels need to look at other ways. And we we always, I always try to say, look, we're not the only way. You obviously promote music. It's not just your 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 record should not hang or live or die off the back of an in flight campaign. But it's one part of a, a wider marketing campaign that you know uh, involves your socials. It involves what you do on your SoundCloud. It involves your playlisting on on Spotify. All that kind of thing. You know, so labels need to be looking at, at, at the wider at the wider picture. But it's a model that has been around for years that, that works, you know. Getting music into the hands of tastemakers has been around since the 1950s. It we, All we have done is, is update the model and make it easier, given the amount of music that DJs are receiving. From a technology point of view, there's never been a better time or better resources available online to promote your music. But it's just a case for labels finding out which ones are best for them, where their audience are based. And we tend to find, thankfully, that a lot of them are living on inflight and they're using inflight and they use the data then that they capture in in inflight to then promote to their other channels, to take that feedback and promote comments on Instagram to maybe pitch for, for certain features and pitch for marketing support on Beatport and that kind of thing, you know.
0: To go back to like your days of being Psychotron, what would, what would you say some of the biggest promo mistakes you made out of curiosity? Is there any that just sit in the front of your mind like, oh, yeah, it hate to think about it?
1: Well, well thankfully, I didn't make any, but uh, I would have used some of the PR companies to, uh, well, it was really down to the label. The label would choose, but um, one of our first customers in InFlight was a guy called Adam Carter who runs Exclusive Promo. So um, if I had a preference when I had a release coming out, I would always say it to the label to use Adam because he, out of all the people when I was working in the BBC, if I received a promo from him, uh, I would I would open it before anybody else's because he, and he still to this day does this, he handpicks every single recipient. So no, no two campaigns will be the same. And, you know, I could go in and look at his numbers and it's like, you'll see some labels who just write, I have a thousand in my database, thousand get it all the time, every release. Adam will be like, it'll be different numbers for every uh, every campaign. And that's what his unique selling point is. And that's what the strength of his business has, has been based around. And, you know, in the early days of... Of In Flight, he was one of our first beta testers. And his model of being able to select like that, it's it's difficult to scale that up because you're using domain knowledge to select those DJs. So we took what he did and tried to automate parts of that or put in tools into the system that would allow labels to curate in in, in a way that was a bit more meaningful and, and personal. For the djs who are receiving music and that that was a big factor again at the start pu- putting all these things in so you have th- th- i mean you have people like that like adam who are small sme style businesses who puts a very heavy emphasis on curation but we also have bigger clients who are at the opposite end of the scale who do a, you know a lot of big mass mail outs to global users so the platform is kind of built for you know we can scale up to corporate style promo delivery or if you're a, a really passionate curator picking music for people you can also use in-flight like that you know so um, a lot of the a lot and we still do speak to customers a lot and take a lot of the feedback but a lot of the early input on product development on in-flight was as a result of the inputs from a couple of PR companies who I had always respected the way that they had gone about their business and how they promoted the records and we've taken a bit of that and hopefully wrapped it into in-flight. And Adam, still, he's still with us uh, Was six or seven years down the line. So we must be doing okay. Yeah,
0: right? definitely, definitely. For, for So for someone who might be listening who is an artist, is a DJ, and they make their own music, there's a lot now where people are like, put money into Facebook ads, put money into Facebook ads. But I'd say the return on investment will be higher from a successful promo campaign. What could that return on investment look like? Okay, there's the opportunity to get feedback, but what could it lead to?
1: Even as a business ourselves, we've tried Facebook and advertising and all that. And it's just you spend a lot of money, you get a very little return. And Facebook does not know as much about or should not know as much about your the people you want to market your music than you do. You know, Facebook's just looking at a at an algorithm and you put in some parameters and it, it says, Yeah, these people might like it's not it's not it's not a place where i would for small independent it's okay if you're, you're a major label and you've big pockets and you can chuck a couple of hundred grand at advertising and and then look look at your return on investment but the return on investment for people using our system is the getting those reports out of in flight that's that's their collateral and it's what they do with th- those reports that feeds into the rest of their marketing and promotional campaigns and that's getting, I mean, the the key things are getting the taste the right tastemakers for your music. And that's that's the most important thing. And if you have five people on a, a marketing graphic who have supported your record and said something nice, that can help sell records. It does help sell records, you know? And it, it might encourage a, a DJ whose whose comments have been used to maybe include you in a beatport chart, which will then generate more sales or on beatport hype, that kind of thing. But Ultimately, they're, they're the things. But some of the mistakes I, I see labels making, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a hot topic in, in the sort of promo world, is the likes of you know, your downloaded fours and DJs who, who have assistants who can use InFlight to download music on behalf of, of the DJs that they work with. For example, Richie Hawtin and people like that. Yeah. some of the A lot of labels think that this this that's kind of collateral, using downloaded four, but it's kind of something that you should probably just leave out from your, your marketing because it doesn't really tell anybody anything about what they've said about your music because they haven't said anything they've they've downloaded it when it was me when i was releasing a psychotron i would have taken the reports that i was given by the whoever the pr was and selected five or six of the djs that i was most impressed with or or most liked that were supporting the the release and use those comments in a in a meaningful way to to try and to try to try and sell records on, on a day of release, and that's what it is. It's building up your database. You 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 know you have your your tastemaker database in inflight that you do for your DJs, but you'll probably also have a like a Mailchimp service as well that you'll you'll market to maybe a direct to fan service that kind of thing. And it's tying all those things together and, and using them as leverage to 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 access the next level of uh, support. And whether that's a, a banner on Beatport or it's a uh, you know, you're 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 using it for press or PR. Um, you know, that that's really what what we do. It's, it's it's getting collateral for labels to, to go to the next stage. You know, mm,
0: yeah. Because it's all about the ecosystem, everything working together, isn't it? Which all helps re reimpose yeah. and move build that momentum that helps you move forward, either as an artist or a label. Yeah,
1: and, and there's no there's no set way to do it. I mean, the thing the thing has changed that the cycle has changed a lot over the last couple of years. It used to be traditionally, you do. Promo a month, at least a month before. Sometimes six weeks before it go live date at, at retail. Now with the, the cycle of music being increased so so vastly over the last few years, and release dates and people releasing a lot more music, that's that's reduced down a lot. So you can you can you can promote a record in a couple of weeks and still get your reports in the beatport or or whatever track source in time for. Uh, you to be able to push for for marketing support, but there's no set way of doing it. I mean, we see labels whose uh priority are Spotify streams, who will literally promote the they'll the, the do a promo on the day it lands on Spotify. You know, so so they're 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 hitting that kind of they're hitting that go live date alongside a promo campaign. How that looks in terms of the, the results, how you compared the it two would be difficult to say. But, you know, there there are many different ways that people can, uh, labels can market their stuff. And, it, you know, every label is different. They've all got different different needs. They've all got different tastemakers that they're marketing towards. And their priorities will be different. Some will be pushing for uh, Spotify plays. Some will be pushing for download sales. It depends whether you're a DJ market or whether you're heading for the con- consumer angle. So, you know, lots of different ways to do it Um
0: yeah, mm. and one one of the other great return on investments could be support as well in the actual live sense when when we can be back out playing and DJ and that one yeah. that one DJ playing the track out not only could give you a live performance and a bit of income from the publishing side of things but the video the then loads of other people play it all it can take is that one person well, isn't it
1: Yeah, that's it. I I think that's what excites us most about the record box integration is that we're we're literally putting our clients' promos into the system that DJs choose which music goes onto their USB sticks to play in the clubs. You know, we've removed all the friction there, you know, so if you want to get into a DJ's record box, you use Inflight, that's the only only way. Obviously, they have to react to it, but yeah, further down the line, you know, we'd love to be able to look at things like capturing plays and, and that kind of thing and and using that because we know it's all all that information's been captured and that's that's ultimately yeah you're absolutely right it's getting getting the plays getting on the youtube streams getting on the the radio shows making sure your your all your tracks are registered on prs or your your whatever your performing rights society is uh to ensure that you've all those revenue streams and i think that's probably what we're seeing i mean since the lockdown the lockdown there've been a lot of new labels are starting up a lot of djs and producers are have decided right i'm not on tour so i'm going to invest into getting all these tracks that have been sat on my hard drive get something done with them and look at ways of building sustainable revenue streams that will plug the income gaps in between touring you know because it's going to take a long time for the touring's never going to go back to the way it was and you know my fear is that the the lower tier djs are going to struggle to get work because the higher tier djs are not going to be able to play the 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 large cap shows that they've been used to playing, so they're going to want to play the smaller venues, which are the only venues open, which is going to push everybody not knock them down a peg or two. So artists need to be, you know, looking at this stage if they want to remain in the in the in the industry, at ways to maximise revenue streams from, from from all the different areas, and whether that's doing live streams on, you know, Mixcloud or or whatever that you, who who now license music and and you can get paid through. You know a whole range of those different things have just popped up in the last sort of those, those kind of innovations since the lockdown you can see there's been a huge response to and uh, the, the, the industry clearly likes it because you see some of the numbers on these streams they're really really encouraging artists being able to monetize these is, is, a, is a great thing so i think it's, it's woken people up to the fact that tour income is a very uh it can be a very vulnerable Position to be in. I know myself from from being. It was part of the reason I I got out of touring was because I I had too many shows where I had fees cancelled the right at the last minute and you're left going well how am I going to pay my my mortgage this month and it's a very very stressful situation to be in because you're you're relying on so many variables. You know, we've all turned up to the gig uh, where the promoter's gone, sorry, we'd only 50 people in tonight, I can't really pay you. You know, that's just not, it's not sustainable. And it's very, very stressful for, for artists. So I think the you know, the good thing about the lockdown, apart from the fact that nobody's out touring, is the fact that DJs have realised there are other ways that I can I can generate income here, you know, as opposed to just touring. That will get me through the, the, the quiet months when I, I don't have enough gigs coming in. No, so I think people have been very uh, innovative. They've been very creative. Um, the, the, some of the streams, I, I've really enjoyed uh, watching Carl Cox streams, uh, in particular, the, the, was it the basement sessions or whatever he called it. They, they've, been, they've been brilliant. So I think, yeah, artists, when they, when they come out of this, as, as we move towards a situation where clubs are, are, are back open and, and their sort of gig diaries starting to fill up again, I think they'll probably still be keen to to use streams as a. You know, if I'm if I'm not um, if I'm not gigging this weekend, I'll be doing a live stream or whatever and, and use that as part of their, their diary effectively. But the technology's there now. The, you know, it's a couple of years ago, if this had happened, we wouldn't be live streaming. We wouldn't be monetizing live streaming, but it's accelerated the development of all those tools. And like Mixcloud turned that live streaming around in a couple of weeks, which was amazing. And even on Beatport, when Beatport are showing streams, they're audio fingerprinting the music live Click through like links to buy the music, you know, on the spot, and that's you know those kind of innovations. Had lockdown not forced us into this position, might have, They might have been on the long finger, you know, and they, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been rushed to the market the way they they have been. So, um, you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens over the next few months, but um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, there, there there'll be some light at the end of the tunnel very Yeah, soon.
0: yeah, fingers crossed. Well, you you mentioned there about income streams, and you were Psychotron had a few sync deals, didn't you? Which is which is a, another amazing yeah. income stream, if done right. What was your experience of with yeah. that? Was it Channel 4 or something?
1: Yeah, we, we had a, a sync on uh, Skins, which uh, was a Channel 4 show. I don't know if you've yeah, ever yeah, watched yeah. It. It Skins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really successful Channel 4 show. They had a music supervision was a big thing for them. Whoever the guy was that, that did it spent a lot of time... Source and new music to go into because a cutting edge youth show needs cutting edge music, so a track we did with Paul Wolford called Stolen, which featured on hot flush recordings uh, It was synced for a nightclub scene, and it was it was amazing it was i think it was about three and a half minutes overall, and uh, yeah, it was class singing music used in that context for the first time so how how that came about, we signed a publishing deal with a company called Westbury Publishing in London. Who um, a very famous publisher? that have been around for for years and years. They were pushing our catalog out to various sync agents, and this one got picked up. And there was a show, another show called Mad Dogs on Sky One. We had something in there as well, but that's yeah, that that was a revenue stream that yeah, gener- it generated a, a nice bit of income at the time. And yeah, occasionally my, my PRS statements, I get you know from repeats or whatever, you see some money coming in. But they are all the kind of things that, that that you should be doing. You know, I I did a lot of music education stuff when I was doing the Psychotron stuff, music business courses. I I was delivering them here in Belfast, and so that's where you know we would have we would have encouraged DJs or artists to. To look at the different ways that they can they can monetize their talents, and sync sync was a big one. Haven't done anything since. I mean, it's it's using your having your music used in a TV show is great, but it's it's even better when you you get the surprise checks in the post every every couple of months, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, strongly encourage um, anyone who's an interest in that to 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 look into it and to try and get somebody to promote your. Your catalog towards tv shows and, and the likes
0: because mm, passive income is so important because touring is active income you've got to go and do it to get paid but you've got loads of assets yeah. music maybe even little like unfinished tracks that aren't released that like you can just turn into like stock music there's so many assets people don't realize they could leverage don't they
1: totally i think it's it's i think well the first thing that puts people off is this they see the, the paperwork that's involved on the prs it might be better now but a few years ago it was it was just terrible like you know you you almost need a degree to, to navigate it. So that's the first thing that pop pe- people off. The second thing is they don't see it. it, it it's a long-term thing. So you need, you'll need you be waiting a year and a half. So people are I can't be arsed doing this, you know. Uh, <laughs> but when you do it, if you get into the habit of doing it, whenever you release a, a track, get your ISRC code and register it and then just forget about it, you know. And I've, I've done gigs at festivals where I got paychecks for music that was played at it that were like four or five times what I was actually paid for the gig, you know, because if you're doing, say I did one festival, it was an 80,000 capacity festival. There wasn't 80,000 people watching me. I was in a, a small tent, but the the amount of license fee that that festival pays to PRS is based on the number of people that are at the festival. And then it, it it's calculated based on the amount of people who claim for that festival artists to claim for, for the music and then it's all divvied up yeah if you're playing a lot of your own music at, at, at festivals you can you can get you know and, and especially if you're touring a lot i wasn't even touring i was out every week but you know some of these djs now are out you know a couple of times a week constantly yeah to have that as you say, that that passive income coming in a few years down the line is uh yeah it's, it's you know you'll be grateful of it <laughs> on a quiet month when the gigs are dried up yeah, you know
0: especially like now <laughs> Well, i just like to say thanks yeah, for totally. being on the podcast. It has really been a pleasure, and we are coming to an end. So we always finish with this kind of question, which is looking to the future of dance music or the dance music industry, hopefully when it all sett- settles down post-COVID. So looking to the next, say, three to five years, what change would you personally like to see in the dance music industry?
1: I'd like to see a bit more of a level playing field for all. I think DJ Fees have got out of hand. It's turned into this... Corporate thing that, and I, I can't, I can understand it. You know, the, the DJs and, and the agents have had so much influence over um, over over the development of the scene over the last few years. But it's also made it harder for for smaller grassroots DJs, artists, underground nights to 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 break, to make money, to keep doing that because all of the the artists are sewn up by big agencies, so they're they're monopolized to an extent. I think we're going to see a reset of that as I, as I mentioned earlier but the, the, the situation is going to be with festivals and large capacity shows and hopefully that will kind of level the playing fields it'll encourage more innovation in the industry from young entrepreneurs who want to develop scenes in their local towns and local cities which has been very difficult over the last few years for them to do because they're up against the big guys who monopolize the larger venues and, and, and have all the DJs booked out I would like to see more of that happening because that those kind of grassroots venues, grassroots local DJs are the DJs who I mean every DJ who's who's flying around the planet in a private jet started off somewhere like that. You know, we all did. We all we all did. And without that kind of foundation, I think that's kind of what we've seen in the the, the commercialization of the. Of of the sector where it's almost as if you if you have enough money you can become a DJ you can become a star you can throw ten grand a month at a, at a PR person to 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 make you look like you're this high flying and it's 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 removed a lot of the soul from it so it'll be interesting to see where those kind of vanity DJs go after this will this still be around I don't know but if you have the bases and the foundations and you know you, you've you've earned your crust doing the gig circuit in your local town and build up that, you know, I want to see it come back to that, where it was a, a meritocracy as opposed to being, how much cash can you throw at something, you know? And that's what that's what it has be, become. And I, I don't think there's anybody could that could argue otherwise. So, and there's a lot of talent that's been overlooked as a result of that. So I would like to see uh, talent being given more of, a, of a, an option as opposed to, you know, people being booked purely just on on the basis of oh god they've got have got half a million on their socials you know which yeah we all, we all know uh <laughs> what that means you know mm-hmm. it's uh you know so um yeah we'll see I mean it's uh if we could sit here and predict the next three to five years I, I think we'd be we'd be uh yeah very, very clever people nobody knows what's around the corner predicting what's gonna happen in January at this stage is 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 you know nobody knows you know we'll get there we've, we've, we've probably I haven't been quite here before, but I mean, I remember in the, in the recession in 2008, um, we had a very similar thing in Ireland where because there was no jobs, the the whole scene just kind of evaporated over a summer because there was no jobs and people were coming out of university and they were emigrating, they were going to Australia and this kind of thing. And the impact that had on, on the scene was that all those young entrepreneurs who would have traditionally be, like I was doing gigs, promoting gigs when I was 15, you know, and that's where I started out when I was still at school, they all left the country. And what that meant was there, was there was a vacuum there that was swallowed up by the bigger venues who could afford to run at a loss, who could afford to throw twenty, thirty grand at a big DJ, and that's all there was for for uh, a long number of years, and, and it was it was quite damaging to the scene, and uh, it meant that you went from a situation where you could you could get enough gigs within the country to get earn a living to an extent, that, and that just that just evaporated. So it was very difficult for DJs to sort of get through that but yeah
0: here we are yeah now. we'll see fingers crossed because it has been mentioned a few times on yeah. the podcast and i think it is true and it, it's interesting how is you it? brought into it the the recession as well because we are no matter what we're going into a recession and, it, and oh, it's how yeah. it's going yeah, to impact so. on things thanks. isn't it all right
1: well here thanks very much for, for having. you're very all. welcome really i've got that. one quick question
0: yeah. any more music coming yeah. in the future or are you just music business now
1: yeah just music business now do you know what i i um Yeah, I my my partner he in Psychotron uh Davy, he's still cracking away doing stuff. I I would and I keep saying to him, Hey, I must go out and see your studio and we must do something, but haven't got haven't got around to it. I I tinkered with logic a bit. I've been playing piano a lot over the last six months and I've yeah, I've got I've got wee inklings of of wanting to get back into it, but yeah, we'll see what happens. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Never say never, you know. I mean I always enjoyed going out and touring but at the time, but um, I don't know if I, that, that kind of thing would appeal to me anymore, but certainly releasing music and making music, yeah, something that I would be keen to, to get back into. But at the moment, I think the piano sort of tickles my, uh, ticks that box for me in terms of uh, scratching my creative itch. Yeah, so the thought of sit, sitting up there playing it or, or going out and uh, doing live sets on the road again you know, with all the associated problems yeah we'll see awesome not getting any younger
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well fingers crossed there is but yeah i'd like to say a huge thank you Paul, for being on the podcast uh, i put links in the show notes to everything in flight related and what we've mentioned on the podcast so people can go and check it out or sign up but yeah thank you so much thanks a you're welcome So a huge thank you to Paul for being on the show, offering us insight into his journey working with Digweed, Paul Wolford, his radio kind of experience, which has led him to InFlight, an incredible service. If you are into promos and you're looking to get your music into the hands and ears of certain DJs, definitely check InFlight out, I would recommend it. It really is an industry standard tool now, so definitely would recommend checking that out. So, of course, your music industry podcast is back next Thursday at 9 a.m. And, of course, I've got another video dropping 1 p.m. on Monday. So, if you aren't subscribed on YouTube, make sure to go and do that. So, until then, stay safe, stay well, and stay creative.